Well, hopefully you're doing well. We're wrapping up our series, White Noise, today. Next week, we start a series, Different, and hopefully it's building everything that we've learned since January is building up to this point. So as we wrap up White Noise today, just as a friendly reminder, White Noise is a noise that is used to drown out other noises or voices. White noise is made up of all the different frequencies of sound. And so playing white noise, whether a noise machine or a bathroom fan, what happens is that noise is like 20,000 voices and it drowns out another voice. So we have three enemies that we've been learning about. And each enemy is like a white noise trying to drown out God's voice to you and to me. We hear from God through reading the scriptures, praying, fasting, uh, having conversations with other believers. And that's how we're able to hear from God. But these three enemies are like these white noises that are trying to drown out God's voice. And they do it through believable lies. So a few months ago, as kids were getting back into the classroom, there were two incidences at two different schools. Now, for those who aren't aren't in Virginia, maybe you live outside of Virginia, uh, we've been kind of shut down for a long time uh, with our school system. Our kids finally got to be able to get back with a, a half the kids went one, one day, the other kids went another day. It's kind of really complicated. This is probably the first almost like normal attempt of getting back in, but those who are in second grade have never had a normal year of school. So there's going to be some emotional lag with a lot of our students. They've been at home, they've been at daycare, so they haven't developed as they ought to. Let's keep that in mind as I share these two incidences. There's one student, and he was an older student, and he was playing on the playground with other students. So he saw a much younger student, he decided to pants that younger student. So he goes over and just rips down his pants in the middle of the playground, and that young boy is terrified. The older student's laughing, giggling with his friends. He gets sent to the principal's office, and he is given a warning not for that to happen again. That's it. Another incident. This incident was very interesting. A student believes, and he pretends to be a cat. Y'all know how I feel about cats. When called upon, he meows. Um, Classmates have seen him lick himself like a cat. He, out of the blue, it was like he was on catnip. He just went crazy trying to stab a fellow student with scissors. Crazy. So he's taken to the principal's office, and pretty much he's given what would be like a detention. Since the pandemic, I've heard more than a dozen parents tell me that they have had their child share something going on with a classmate a lot like that, whether the first student, whether the second student. See, when I was in elementary school, this would have been handled on the playground. Like, that bully would have been dealt with by us on the playground. Then eventually, in the principal's office, where both students would have been at least given an out-of-school suspension, and that incident, or those incidents, would have been placed on their school record. I remember second grade. Ms. Smeltzer's class. Won't forget it. We're learning, and I can't remember what we're learning, but we're also focused. She's talking, and she's in her probably mid-60s. And she's talking, and then all of a sudden, Craig, who his name will go unmentioned in case he's listening, talked back to Ms. Smeltzer. Well, Ms. Smeltzer took 
Craig by his rat tail, dragged him away from his desk. He is kicking. He is screaming. Some of us, I believe, what our pants. She dragged him, drug him all the way down. And then we had windows outside of our, outside of our classroom. So we could see Craig by his rat tail being dragged down the hallway. Next day, Craig wasn't there. Miss Smelter was there. And this was a public school. So, bottom line is how society viewed and handled things in the 80s and 90s, a lot different than today. Here's another example of how things are viewed differently. Have you ever heard of the slang term simps? Simps. S-I-M-P-S. Simps. It's a shortened version of simpleton. You're called a simp if... It's throwing shade on you if you treat a woman with dignity and respect. For example, if you, as a man, compliment a woman, open her door, uh, pump her gas, buy her flowers, or rescue her, you are called a simp. So when men who are respecting and honoring women are being mocked and shamed, here's what happens. It opens the door up for dominance, aggression, and abuse. It's also called benevolent sexism where women are offended because you treat them with honor and respect. Let's see, they see these acts of honor as superiority. There is a vintage manual of for men on manners, a hundred years ago. You can Google it. It calls men to treat women with respect and honor. So let's critically think for a minute. It's easy to be a critic, but let's critically think. What's changed? Why has it changed? And who changed it? Like, think about it. Who, who, who learned more effectively, Craig or those two students? How did opening a door for a woman become sexist and offensive? There's not a lot of peace in our culture. Even though it promises peace, there's not much peace in our culture. Because there is a war for your soul and for your peace, for my soul, and for my peace. There's a war. And in our culture, we have a very low comfort level when it comes to military metaphors and faith. And I'm using this intentionally because we get this actually from the New Testament. Paul, who wrote some of the New Testament, he's referring to our faith as a war against three distinct enemies, these three white noises. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. That's who we're going to be learning about today, that enemy, the world. Obeying the devil, another enemy, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sin nature. Enemy number three. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. See, this war is based on lies. John Mark Homer talks about how all three enemies work together in their war against us, and it's through believable lies. Notice, you have deceptive ideas from the devil that play into disordered desires, our, our sin nature. And then they're normalized in a sinful culture, the world. Deceptive ideas play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful culture. So, Let's talk about our third enemy, the world. So in our context, we're going to be reading from John. So John 15 and 1 John 2. When John is writing, 
in John 15, he's writing down what Jesus is speaking. And so Jesus defines, and we could define the world like this, a system of practices and standards apart from God accepted by society. Okay? So this is what Jesus says. If the world, a system of practices and standards apart from God, accepted by society, so in that time it would have been Roman and Greek society, hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Then he even goes on to say this, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Notice what John writes well after the resurrection. Towards the end of his life, notice what John writes. Do not love this world, the system of practices and standards apart from God accepted by a society, nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and passions or possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So as we sort of put everything together, we had the devil the first week, the flesh last week, our sin nature, and then also this week we have the world. We begin putting all these together. We have a few observations. The world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign. The world is what happens when we become the moral authority. We give into our flesh, we give into our desire for control and power, as well as the deceptive ideas from the devil. The world is attempting to establish a, a utopia apart from God. Now, here's what's so problematic about that. God is the only one who is able to reestablish what life was like in the garden, where it was God and humanity and there was no tension because there was no sin. But the only thing that we have to offer is, apart from God, we offer ourselves and we're sinful. So it's problematic. We're unable. It's impossible for us to create an, a utopia, a, a human flourishing, what life was like in the garden without God. It's impossible. Because sin goes viral. Sin spreads through society as normal. Like, let's think of yawning for a second. Have you ever been in a room and someone's yawning? You find yourself yawning too. Yawning is very contagious. Experts and doctors can't fully explain why. The best explanation I heard is monkey see, monkey do. It's herd mentality. You're not fully conscious of your behavior. Monkey see, monkey do. But here's, the, here's, here's this is really important. Our physical and moral behaviors spread the same way. They spread the same way through society, spreads through family, friends, strangers. It, it's everyone's doing it type of mentality. Think about it. Think of political views. Think of eating healthy or not eating healthy. Think of alcoholism or moderate drinking. That You grow up with certain things. Um, you grow up learning how to treat people who look differently than you, um, where how we talk, how we dress, how we treat people, all comes at times from how we view people and how what we're exposed to learn behaviors. Okay. We're also tempted in this world, if everyone's doing it, why not do it? Look, if it feels good, 
it must be good, right? Type of mentality. I like Renee D. Restia. She says this, if you make it trend, you make it true. If you make it trend, you make it true. I also like what John Mark Homer, what he wrote. He says, we become like the relationships we cultivate and the culture to which we belong. So going back to John, notice what John writes. Remember that towards the end of his life? For the world offers only a craving. And the word craving is empthemia. Empthemia, which is lust. And lust is perverted love. So, for the world offers only a lust for physical pleasure, a lust for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. The world lusts for three things. Physical, visual, and selfish. So, physical lust. Physical lust is sexual or physical gratification. Visual lust is greed, envy, jealousy, discontentment. Basically, how I see affects how I behave. How I see affects how I behave. And then selfish lust. Our way, our life mentality. It's a lust for more autonomy and authority control. Now, remember the first week how we talked about Jesus and the devil in the desert and how the devil tempted Jesus and how Jesus was able to defeat the devil? Let's go back to that story. And Matthew writes about it in Matthew 4. Now, if we go back to the story that we looked at our first week, we're going to see that Jesus is attempted with all three lusts. So the first temptation was physical lust. The devil tempts him. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus tempted to give his, remember, Jesus was tempted to give his body, his body's desire for food as he was in a 40-day fast. You and I, we are tempted to give into pleasure and gratification. Another way that he was tempted was with visual lust. The devil tempts him. I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Jesus was tempted to bow down to the devil and receive the kingdoms of this world. You and I, we are tempted to make decisions with our eyes. With our eyes. Jesus, lastly, was tempted with selfish lust. He tempts him, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. See, Jesus was tempted to throw himself off the temple to prove his glory, that he was God's son. By doing that, of course, people may have seen him come down and it would have been quite the spectacle See, you and I, we're, we're tempted with more fame, attention, authority, and power. We desire to be seen. See, the world will take lust and make it a good thing. The world will take lust and make it a good thing. Think about how the world is trying to get back to that perfect state, right? That utopia. But they want to do it apart from God. And by doing that, we're redefining terms, we're redefining behaviors, we're redefining institutions. Notice, lust is now love. Marriage is now a contract. 
Divorce is now about authenticity. You know, I, I've heard people say, I want the best life now. And if that person can't give me the best life, then I'm out. Marxism is now about justice. Racism is now something that is attributed to only white people. Greed is now the responsibility of executives to shareholders. Gender is now identity. Abortion is now justice or the lesser evil. Notice what Jesus says. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. That's hard. That's hard to hear. That's hard to read because it's such a strong word. Jesus was clear that what the world honors apart from him is detestable. See, when Jesus was walking the earth, the world was pre-Christian. It was detestable in its own way as the world valued the approval of gods and goddesses. And people reacted how gods and goddesses acted. You can read Greek and Roman mythology. Gods and goddesses were at each other. I mean, these were people who didn't even have it all together. And yet people reacted a very similar way. They were at each other. It was detestable. And then after the resurrection and for the first couple hundred years of the early church, it was still pre-Christian as the church was showing the Roman Empire that it stood for things differently. It viewed things differently. And it led to the church flourishing and many people becoming followers of Jesus. Over, over a thousand years, things began to be Christianized. And now, as many Western countries have been Christianized, we're in a post-Christian society where people want the kingdom without the king. The world is now in reaction against Christianity. The biggest problem in our society is facing that we're facing is that there's inconsistent morality. The people are unable to live up their own standards, right? We have this cancel culture. How many people are canceling people that they themselves should be canceled? No one can live up to their own more authority. See, our society, I believe they like Jesus, but they don't want to submit to him as king. So, See, Jesus called his followers throughout history to this one thing. He's calling you, he's calling me to this. Regardless if we're in a pre-Christian culture, a Christianized culture, or a post-Christian culture, which America is in now. It's a calling that transcends which type of society we live in. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The church isn't a building, it's not a facility. The church is a called out group of believers, a called out group of followers of Jesus. So it's clear that this is not our home. But you and I, have been made to live in the here and now for this purpose. Sure, our, our future home is, is, is one day, yes, that he's going to renew the heavens and the earth, and, and yes, that's our forever home. But until that day comes, you and I are called to live this out right here and right now.
We need each other. Man, if we're going to be a city on a hill, it, it can't just be one person. It has to be all of us together. Notice the examples of how we can do more together like a city. The early church outlasted Rome. The confessing church outlasted Nazi Germany. The underground church in China cannot stop growing and it's projected to continue to grow. The Christians in Sudan continue to show their light with and under the threat of death. Guys, the best strategy against the world comes through one spiritual discipline, community. Gathering together as a church. Life was not meant to be done alone. If it was, God would not have formed Eve from man. He would not have commanded Adam and Eve to have more Adam's and Eve's. In fact, he created you and me in his image. And part of being made in his image means that we were made for community because God is in community. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They relate to each other in community. Community is about connection. Being next to someone is different than being connected to someone. Guys, it's important that we're in this together because when we isolate, we are easily pulled back into the world. God doesn't want that. And the church doesn't need that. It's important that we pursue God by by allowing our lifestyle to show that it is worth living under God. As the world sees us that we live the best life now under God. That it's worth living. Imagine the impact we could have as a quote-unquote city. As there's more people doing the same thing. You remember back when we talked about yawning? We talked about herd mentality. We talked about monkey see, monkey do. Here's the good news. It's not just for negative behaviors, but for positive behaviors. When we talk about loving where we live, when we talk about loving the Berg, some of us, man, we struggle with living in this area. But this is where God has called us here and now. And maybe for you, a long period of time. And we are called to let our good deeds shine for all to see so that people will see that living life with Jesus as King really, truly is the best life. So we have a calling as we face the devil, our sin nature, and the world. He gives us a calling, and that is to let the world see our light, to be a city on a hill. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we close out this series. Remind us, help us not to forget that we really truly are at war. War for our soul, war for and for our peace. And Father, we are asking that you will remind us of that. You will keep us alert. You will keep us on guard. You will allow us to be in community. That We have other people helping us, doing life with us. So Father, I ask right now that you will help those who are struggling with this to be open to community. I pray for those who may not have a relationship with you yet. I ask that you will draw them to yourself, reveal to them that that tension that they have with you can be resolved through the blood of Christ. By believing in his death and resurrection, they can be set free. So Father, I pray that you will help them there. 
Father, thank you again for allowing us to go through this series. Again, thank you so much for winning the war. But until then, we have some battles we need to, we need to fight. And we pray that we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.